know what song that is. It's Yes, you do. It's I Hit It First by Ray J because he was mad that Kim Kardashian, you know, was no longer with Ray J. Why is she always with people that are just angry about her not being with them? I mean, not always. Pete Davidson seems pretty chill. Well, that's because they're together right now. That's fair. We'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> this is not a pop culture podcast. I mean, it is. It's a true crime pop culture podcast, though. And That's true. I mean, as of right now, I mean, I guess we could include. I mean, I there's... don't even because he ha- <laughs> Kanye hasn't done. I mean, besides, oh, I like... wasn't going to say Kanye. I was going to say Kim. Oh, yeah. Her crimes. Well, crimes against her. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that family and has she's, crimes. Like, becoming a lawyer. I, I I know. I, there's like there's one particular connection to crime that that family has, and I just can't for the life of me think of what it is. Didn't Caitlyn Jenner kill somebody? Well, yes, but that's not the big elephant in the room. One that I'm for the life of me just not able to think of. Am I missing something? The big orange elephant in the room. Haley, I'm Haley, I'm missing Haley. something. Their dad fucking defended OJ. Oh yeah, I knew that. Yeah. <laughs> For sure knew that, yeah. See, elephant's so big, you don't even remember that that's an elephant that should be in a room. It's like part of the decor at this point. What? What are we talking about? I went too far with the metaphor, and now I just can't find my way back. What else is new? Pivot. What are we talking about? I was going to say, rhetorical question, but also, what else is new? I hope y'all are well. This is Crime Culture. And today we're talking about Pamela Anderson. Well, damn. Well, damn. Okay. Tell me Are about you? it. All right. That's Haley, by the way. Hey. Um, I'm Caitlin, by the way. Did I say this is crime culture? Yes. Focus, it's bitch. Been, it's, <laughs> tell me you're on an off your meds day without telling me you're on an off your meds day. I'll go first. So Pamela Denise Anderson was born the oldest of two children on July 1st, 1967 in Ladysmith, British Columbia, Canada, to Barry Anderson, a furnace repairman, and Carol Anderson, a waitress. And from the moment she was born, Anderson was actually something of a celebrity because, well, a local, a local celebrity. Of course, yeah. I also didn't know she was Canadian. I know. Yeah, I didn't either until I watched something that we'll talk about in a bit. Uh, (laughs) so she was born on the 100th anniversary of Canada's official, like, founding via the Constitution Act in 1867. Mm. She wasn't born in 1860. You you get it. So anniversary. Yes. But so she was named the centennial baby. Like, you know how they have baby new year every year? She was the centennial baby of Canada. Ooh. Right? That's pretty... I was like, oh, good that's for... A fun, good, yeah. yeah, it's a fun one. It's a it's a fun fact. It gets less fun. Oh, no. Um, yeah. In 2014, as I, as I was saying that, I was I, I read a little bit ahead and I was like, ah, shit. Um, in 2014, Anderson revealed that she is a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. Mm. From the ages of 6 to 10, she was molested by a babysitter followed by being sexually assaulted by a 25-year-old man when she was 12. And then she was um, sexually assaulted again at the age of 14 by her then-boyfriend and six of his friends. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, She was a member of the class of 1985 at Highland Secondary School in Comox, C-O-M-O-X, British Columbia. Mm -hmm. 
uh, where she was on the volleyball team. Mm. And in 1988, so about three years after she graduated from high school, she moved to Vancouver and began working as a fitness instructor. And the following year, she attended in what is something of an infamous story, the BC Lions Canadian Football League game at the BC Play Stadium in Vancouver, where she was featured on the Jumbotron wearing a Labatt's beer t-shirt. Okay. And that was essentially her big break because... Everybody lost their fucking shit at a hot girl on the Jumbotron. Uh-huh. And so they like they lost their goddamn minds to the point that Labots actually hired Anderson as a spokesmodel. Damn. Yeah. That's the easiest way to get a job. Seriously. <laughs> like just go to a football game and you'll make your money back tenfold. Brand ambassador. <laughs> no, not but that's the thing. Not a brand ambassador. Like, so for example, her then boyfriend actually made posters of her like at in the ad for uh-huh. the company because they called her the blue zone girl okay and so she was like in a shirt that said blue zone mm-hmm. whatever blah 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 and then there would be like a labats logo at the bottom but so he started printing those and selling them and he made he made a a moderate or they i guess made a moderate i would hope um, it's they and not him exploiting his girlfriend <laughs> I couldn't find too much info on him. Um, okay. He's not he's not depicted in the, the best light mm. in in um, Pam and Tommy, which we'll get to. Yeah. But I don't know how accurate that was. Yeah. 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 But regardless. So from there, she then appeared as the cover girl of Playboy magazine's October 1989 issue and decided to move to Los Angeles permanently to further pursue her modeling career. Mm. And that proved to be a good move because Playboy then chose her as Playmate of the Month in their February 1990 issue. So she hasn't even been there for like a year Mm -hmm. and she is Playmate of the Year. And then as part of that, she appeared in their centerfold and she currently holds the record for the most Playboy covers. Really? Yep. Of all time. And she even wrote the foreword for the 2012 coffee table book, Playboy's Greatest Covers. Mm. Mm-hmm. So in the early 90s, Anderson was also cast as Lisa, the original Tool Time Girl on ABC's Home Improvement. Mm-hmm. Everybody remembers that comedy of series course. with Tim Allen. Um, and that premiered on September 17th, 1991. And she left the show after only two seasons to focus on her role on another hit show. A little TV show called Baywatch. Love it. So as one of the series' longest-serving cast members, Anderson played the character C.J. Parker for five seasons from 1992 to 1997. And this is easily the role for which she's best known both nationally and internationally. It's yeah, just I was everyone knows say, the red bathing suit. I was going to say good call for her for uh, it's like changing direction and like going with that show. It wasn't even that she was changing direction. She was on both. Yeah, but, but she decided but to focus decided, on Baywatch, and that yes, proved she decided to, be, to quit and focus on Baywatch. Yeah, yeah. Yes, not that not that Home Improvement was not a great show. I no, used but to I, love watching I the didn't reruns, even know that she was on Home Improvement. <laughs> but she didn't know that she was on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So she went on to even reprise her role in the 2003 reunion movie Baywatch Hawaiian Wedding, and also in a series of direct TV commercials in 2007. Yeah, she really she really made that Baywatch money. She made that Baywatch money, and we're here for it. Yeah. So she also continued to model as she was on Baywatch, not just for Playboy, but she also served as the cover girl for Outdoor Life 
on on multiple issues. Mm-hmm. And in 1993, she appeared in a music video, Can't Have Your Cake, by former Motley Crue lead singer Vince Neil to promote his first solo album, Exposed. And little did she know, this wouldn't be her only connection to the popular heavy metal band. Mm. I wonder what it could be. Uh, so in 1994, she was cast in her first starring film role as Sarah in Raw Justice. And it's also known by the title Good Cop, Bad Cop, Cop, Cup, but Good Cop, Bad Cop, No Cups Involved. And under that title, it won the Bronze Award at the World Fest Charleston in the category for Dramatic Theatrical Films. And it has a 4.1 out of 10 on IMDb, a 79% Google score, and you can watch it for free on the Roku channel. All right, then. That same year, on New Year's Eve, so for those who are like me, 1984 going into 1995. Yeah. Okay. So she was celebrating with her friends at the Hollywood Club Sanctuary, of which she was part owner. Damn. Like, we love a businesswoman. Hell yeah. We're, we're, all of this... We, we're in movies, we're on TV, we're modeling, we're holding records, we own a nightclub. This is what uh, Tom Haverford wanted. Well, yes, but also <laughs> this is why we try to get on the fucking Jumbotron, ladies and, and gentlemen and non-binary friends. Like, it's, this is, this is why. Yeah. This is why. Because what could happen? This could fucking happen. She sent all the club patrons to celebrate, you know, fucking New Year's. A shot of Goldschlager, Oof. which is that cinnamon schnapps that has gold flakes in it. Yep. So she she sent everybody a complimentary shot, and among the patrons was Motley Crue drummer Tommy Lee. Mm. So even though Lee allegedly had a fiance at the time, it was he definitely had a girlfriend. It might have been a fiance, or she might have been a fiance. Ugh. Um. Even though that was that, it was love at first sight, although he wrote in the 2001 Motley Crue autobiography, The Dirt, that the drugs he was on probably also helped contribute to that love at first sight phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) He said, quote, on ecstasy, Joan Rivers looks like Pamela Anderson. So imagine what Pamela Anderson looked like. She was so beautiful. I couldn't even bring myself to think of defiling her with thoughts of lust. I just Mm -hmm. stared at her all night and she just stared back, end quote. That's really fucking creepy, but sure, okay. Well, it gets better. If you think that's creepy, honey, hold the fuck on. I know it doesn't get better from here. Oh, it doesn't. In his autobiography, Tommy Land, Lee says, quote, I grabbed my bottle. Yes, 2004 hit novel, Tommy Land. Uh Um, He said, quote, I grabbed my bottle of Cristal, slam the shot, and go over and sit right next to her. I don't say a word. I just like lick the side of her face end quote and we're not talking like a little like Nip. like you know what i mean like we're not talking like a little like Hew. we're talking like a full ass not gonna do it because we're not an asmr podcast slurp yeah i mean chin to fucking temple that's the, i mean that's the, the story you want to tell your grandkids isn't it exactly well and that's the thing they got two kids i'm sitting there i'm like your kids are gonna read this book someday and they're gonna know this and I mean, I guess not the worst thing in the world. Like, allegedly, I, I'm saying allegedly for my own family. Allegedly, my father first saw my mother and proposed on site. Uh-huh. I don't know whether this is accurate or not, but it's what my mother told me. Um, Dad, if you're listening, care to comment? I've never asked you about this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but 
but regardless so he later tommy lee not my dad uh <laughs> later <laughs> let's be clear about this um he later recalled in that that motley crew novel the dirt novel book the dirt quote she fucking laughed and without missing a beat turned away and licked the face of the girl next to her everyone started passing licks around the table end quote in a post covid world yeah i was gonna say yeah. not even post but like in a world where covid has happened and is currently still a thing that sounds like the worst nightmare oh yeah I mean, it's absolutely nightmarish. I could never imagine doing it now, and I could never imagine really doing it. Licking either. a stranger? Yeah. Licking anybody? Licking anybody? I, well, because my first thought, I will say, I'm ashamed to say, was not COVID. My first thought was like, she must have had so much makeup on her face that he just licked up. And but that also, has to be so un, like if you've ever it's been shocky, like you know, makeup's if, not fun. Yeah, if you've ever been in a nightclub and also been in a nightclub with a bunch of people on drugs, there's a lot of sweat happening. Yeah, that's true. That's not that's great true. either. But I think I'd rather taste sweat than makeup. I'm just gonna say. <laughs> I don't know. With that debate, I, I neither. I'm gonna go with neither. I mean, neither is ideal, but. I mean, you can't, you can't always get what you want, Haley. But if you try sometimes, you get what you need. <laughs> but uh, so as, as a little bit of backstory. So Lee had been previously married to Melrose Place actress Heather Locklear, and their relationship had ended in August 1993 amid accusations of domestic violence, infidelity, and substance abuse. Not chill. Not chill. And like... Tommy Lee was kind of known as a bad boy. Like, yeah, it wasn't like and Pam Anderson didn't know what she was getting into. But still, the attraction between the two of them was undeniable. And as she later said in a 1995 movie, I mean, interview with Movie Line, quote, I thought he was a cool, friendly, nice guy, end quote. And so she decided to give him her number. Okay. So Lee wasted no time in calling multiple times like whatever you're thinking that's not enough Ugh. like think phone ringing nonstop, calling her i mean and i guess she did give him her number but like i don't know if anybody is anticipating that much contact neither was she yeah she was immediately overwhelmed she thought it was way too intense and she ignored most of the phone calls yeah you <laughs> met him one time calm down it, yeah like he licked your face and let's just have it be that yeah but we were on so, drugs it was new year's whatever well allegedly well he was on drugs we'll get into it um so <laughs> goodness gracious i'm still thinking about the face licking so Lee did eventually get her on the phone, and after he learned that Anderson was headed to Cancun in, at this point, we're in February 1995, uh -huh. he was just like, ooh, Cancun, and she he was just like, do old, not follow me. He pulled the old LOL, uh, who, fancy seeing you here. Forget catch flights, not feelings. Tommy decided he was going to do both. Yeah. Um, but she, she was like, do not follow me. And he was just like... Sounds like you're saying I should follow you. Like, well, then tell him you're going to Antarctica. I know, I know. Well, but it, that's the thing, because... It, just wait, just wait, just wait. So, he did not listen. 
Instead, he reportedly bought $400 worth of sex toys and costumes and hightailed it to Cancun, where he proceeded to call every high-end hotel until he found her. See, this is not cute. And also, like, we began the episode by mentioning, like, Kim and Kanye. And, like, this, like, seeing all of the crazy shit that, like, Kanye's been doing to get Kim Kardashian's attention is, like, very terrifying. (laughs) And hearing this is uh, not cute. I don't like it. It's not cute to me, but I I also don't know. I don't know how serious either of them was being. Does that make sense? Like they have such dispensable income that. Yeah. Like, I don't know if that's the equivalent of like, like, for example, I'll out Michael right now that Michael, for example, all of our friends, well, all of our, 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 well, most of our friends, not, not really our female friends, but he buys them a hot dog for their birthday. Even though they go, do not buy me a hot dog. Please stop. Don't do it. Michael still buys them a hot dog for their birthday. I don't know if it's like that. That's where not they're like, they know it's, dollars it's worth of sex toys to a woman you just met. But that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I don't know if it is uh, the sex toys thing presumptuous, but it's also alleged. I don't know whether or not that's true. Okay. All that's right. just something that like a source said. And I was like, I love when they quote like sources of these celebrities and they're like, oh, they're just like so in love. They're just like, blah, blah, blah. I was like, who's your source? Exactly. I want to know who the source is. And I know that we don't have that. Like we got to protect our sources, which means that sometimes some can slip through the cracks. But some but of these like know. celeb ones that are like, the source says something like really fucking dumb and like trivial. And you're like, why? Who's the yes. source? I also, if this is true, I want to know what costumes. Um, <laughs> I want to know. Did he just buy a bunch of Baywatch swimsuits? I would like to know. The know. public wants to know. I am the public. But regardless, we are so off track. It's not even funny. He. So he thought that this was going to like win her over and that it was going to be seen as this big grand romantic gesture. Okay. It did not go as he hoped. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he said, quote, she wasn't even going to return my call. She was so pissed. But her friends were on my side this time. They saw how hard I was working and begged her, go out with him for one drink. It couldn't hurt. End quote. Famous last words. Famous last words. So Anderson finally just agreed she'd get one drink. That's it. Nothing else with Lee. And one drink turned into a four-day ecstasy-fueled romance in yeah. Cancun. See, it's, it's, it's the drugs. It's the drugs. But it's also like, I mean, spoiler alert, they were married for like four years. Like they, they it, it was the drugs that yeah. it, it's, it's the drugs got things going. Um, so after spending a total of 96 hours together, Lee proposed saying in the dirt, quote, I took off my pinky ring, put it on her finger and asked her to marry me. She said yes, hugged me and stuck her tongue down my throat, end quote. Marital bliss. The couple got married on a beach at sunset in Cancun. Like they went, found a priest. And on February 19th, 1995, they did the thing with Anderson in a white bikini and Lee in khaki cutoffs and eight guests present. 
Mm-hmm. No shoes to be found. And then at the ceremony ended with Lee picking up Anderson and running into the ocean and everybody following. Okay. And that was that. That could be cute. That's kind of a, like, Ooh. that can be an, a, like a nice elopement if you don't want something like crazy. But yeah, I thought it was, I, I, I've seen pictures. I, 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 I think that it was fine. Like I thought it was, it was sweet enough and they were sweet on each other. So I mean, whatever. My one issue Anderson's mom did not find out about the wedding until she read it in People magazine because it was that fast. It's that fast, but also, like, was she close with her family? Yes. Oh, she was. Okay. Yes. Yes. Her mother went with her during, like, the Playboy shoot that started it all. Yeah. Her mother went with her. And when you you mentioned in the beginning about um, her... Uh, childhood sexual abuse it didn't seem like anything was within the family no it was not within the family it was a a babysitter babysitter and boyfriend. some 25 year old yeah. man and boyfriend and boyfriend's friends yes um but regardless so also according to lee instead of getting actual wedding bands the two tattooed each other's names on their ring fingers i think that started like a trend because that's it yeah that's been like a thing like people do it that has. a lot so on the flight home, Lee wrote that, quote, Pamela is asking me where I live and what I like for breakfast. It was so bizarre, end quote, with Anderson adding because she would write little notes in like the equivalent of like footnotes for okay. this. For he, This is in Tommy land. Yeah. And so she would like add little notes to it, yeah. like of her perspective on things. Um, so she added, quote, I thought it was the wildest, greatest thing I ever did, end quote. Wow. All right. And so after the two landed, a paparazzi feeding frenzy ensued, which Lee called, quote, the beginning of all that, end quote. Yeah. And we'll get into what all that is in a minute. But Anderson also at this time began going by Pamela Anderson Lee. And the couple moved into a three-story Spanish-style mansion on Maholland Highway in Malibu, California, with a garage that had been converted into a recording studio on the bottom floor. And I believe it was Lee's house first. Okay. And Anderson lived in a condo, and she moved in with him when they got back from Cancun. But I'm not positive. I could not find anything that specifically said he owned the house Okay. first. But regardless, so they began renovating the house to turn it into a space that was reflective of themselves as a couple, mm-hmm. as opposed to just like, for example, a bachelor pad. In April 1985, stolen Polaroids of the couple in bed were acquired by the Dutch and French editions of the pornographic magazine Penthouse, as well as the American porn magazine Screw. Today I learned that there's a magazine called Screw. Yeah, and real subtle with the names. Yep. And at first, Anderson was understandably upset, but as she told Movie Line later that year, quote, when I saw the first Polaroid, I was like, whoa, baby, we should frame this. In the end, who cares? End quote. Mm. Unfortunately, this comment would go on to play a role in legal issues that may or may not be popping up later. Mm. So as the remodel continued on, the couple abruptly fired a, a handful of people who were renovating their home and refused to pay them, claiming the work was shoddily done. One of these laborers was electrician Rand Gautier, a California native who grew up in Toluca Lake across the street from Dick Van Dyke. 
And he was the son of actor Dick Gautier, who starred as Conrad Birdie in the original Broadway production of Bye Bye Birdie. Yeah. And he went on to play Jaime the Robot in the 1960s sitcom Get Smart. Okay. Which I, I, I know, but I know that most may not because they didn't watch TV Land as a child because they had a social life. So as they continued to make an effort to step out of, as he continued to make an effort to step out of his father's shadow, he didn't have a good relationship with his dad. His parents were divorced. His mom was pretty nuts and his dad was a dick. Um, Most people dismissed Rand as a doofus and conspiracy theorist who liked fast cars and porn stars. Mm -hmm. Watching them, dating them, marrying them, fucking them, and so on. As what they called a, quote, studio troll, end quote, he spent most of his free time just hanging around an adult film studio called Inley Studios. And he would just build build sets, do like handyman shit, chat up the actresses. And he even did some work in porn himself under the name Austin Moore, appearing in at least 75 pornographic films, including, because I had to include the names of some oh. of these. <laughs> Oh, no. 1992's Miracle on 69th Street. Wow. Okay. We're starting there. We're starting there. We're going in chronological order, baby. 1994's Willy Wankers and the Fun Factory. I wonder what happens in that one. (laughs) I wonder what the Fun Factory is. Jesus Christ. And 1995's Big Boob Bikini Bash. That's my favorite one. We love alliteration. <laughs> um, Godier later told Rolling Stone writer, um, I, I'm, I'm still, I'm losing it. <laughs> he later told Rolling Stone writer Amanda Chicago Lewis, quote, I just wish my equipment had been a little larger for the industry. A lot of girls wanted me to do anal with them because it wasn't so large, end quote. Wow. All right. Can you imagine? <laughs> I can't. So, Godier, back to this situation, was really sick of the celebrity couple's demands. And he was ready to simply just write off the $20,000 that they allegedly owed him and be done with it just because it meant no longer having to deal with them. But when he and another colleague, a general contractor named Troy Tompkins, returned to the couple's residence to collect their tools because they had kind of just been unceremoniously kicked out uh-huh. lee allegedly refused to return their equipment and pointed a shotgun at them saying quote get the fuck off my property and whoa okay yes so lee made godier feel small and having spent his entire life feeling small godier was tired of it uh-oh yes so he later told chicago lewis quote i was never really that popular with people but i had never been held at gunpoint it screwed with my head end quote yeah, that can't be good for anybody. Nope. I mean, I'm not I'm not justifying what may transpire next, but it's upsetting. I can yeah. I can imagine. But the incident gave him a taste for revenge. Oh no. He wanted Lee to feel as vulnerable as he made him feel and to realize that he wasn't special, but neither was Lee. He was just another human being. Uh-huh. So Godier was aware that the Lees had a huge browning safe containing guns and jewelry hidden in their garage near the recording studio, and he ultimately made the decision to steal it, allegedly for no other reason than to just pawn the guns and jewelry and get his money back. 
and then have a laugh at their expense like ha 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 like you fucked me over like i fucked you over eye for an eye blah 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 yeah yeah little did he know the safe contained something else a 54 minute home movie of anderson that included footage of anderson and lee's honeymoon on a houseboat on lake mead which is a reservoir formed by the hoover dam on the colorado river in nevada and arizona just for those who don't know uh-huh and Included on this 54-minute home movie was about eight minutes of them having sex. All right. Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing that I think that people also don't really think think about or know is this was not a sex tape. This was a home movie, a series, yeah. a series of vignettes over the course of, I think it was like spring and summer 1995. It wasn't uh-huh. even just their honeymoon. And it just happened to include, among other things that they filmed them having sex yeah 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 so godier says that he spent the entire summer of 1995 preparing for the heist driving over to the lee's house several nights a week to case it until usually about three or four in the morning even jesus and because he used to install security cameras similar to those used at the lee residence he knew that the footage would be grainy at best so his plan was to put a white tibetan yak fur rug on his back and I okay. kid you not, I kid you not, and to crawl. They might mistake me for a yak. No, their dog. They had a huge fucking dog. And so okay. he was like, I'm going to crawl around and the security people are going to think that this is the dog if I crawl on my hands and knees with Wait, this fucking was yak there someone, thing. Was there someone actively looking yes. at the... Oh, yes. okay, okay, yes. okay. I thought you meant like... After the fact, they would be no. like, "Oh, well, that was the dog. The time that everything." I mean, was also that because when when they when they're reviewing the footage, but at the, at the time also, okay, they, I didn't, they will I think didn't it's the dog walking to the garage. Yeah, I didn't know if there was somebody actively looking, like monitoring yes. the activity. Okay, yes, yes. Still, I think he's 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 thinking too deeply about this. Well, no, because you can see a person, and they'll call the police, and because it's like a celebrity. The police will come fucking fast. Yeah. Um, but the Lee's home was also adjacent to state-owned land, which is where the paparazzi would stake out and they could without any consequences. Mm. So no one really suspected a thing about him being parked there all the time just watching because... They thought of paparazzi? Yeah. that There were always like unfamiliar trucks and vans and cars and other vehicles that were parked there. Yeah. So... Now, that's not to say they weren't bothered by it, but like, for example, they would frequently spot boom mics hanging over their fence trying to catch a sound bite. Ugh. Yeah. Or at one point, Lee was even arrested for pointing a sawed off shotgun at a paparazzo that he noticed was snapping pictures while he was kissing his wife in their backyard. Lee was kissing his wife, not the paparazzo. Um, yes. But both aren't great situations. Yeah. That's, that's so invasive. Yeah. I'm not I'm not defending his actions. I'm not a believer in violence. I I'm not a huge believer in guns, but I I can understand being driven to a point when people are literally stalking your every goddamn yeah. move all yeah. the time. And it wasn't really like that until like it like they were still like followed by paparazzi or whatever, but they were like thrust into the limelight when they just randomly eloped because nobody really would have thought, Oh, Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee. Yeah. And it, it's just, they became tabloid fodder. 
Well, it, that's another thing, bringing it back around to like Kim and Kanye and like the whole Pete Davidson thing. It's like, is there a day where there's not an art, like tw- like 10, 20 articles about mm-hmm. Kim and Pete? Like, mm-hmm. you can't leave these people alone. No. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Right. Um, so yeah, so all the while, like they know that people are watching them, but they're blissfully unaware that somebody might be watching them for reasons other than making a quick buck on a picture or two. Yeah, yeah. So over the course of what would be years of renovations, the couple continued to cycle through contractors, laborers, all of them that they deemed to be untrustworthy, and they spent a metric fuck ton of money on features like a koi pond, a gigantic bedroom with an open shower, heart-shaped glass and iron doors. Okay. A pillow room. I mean, I want that. I also want a pillow room. I don't know what it is, but I want it. It's got two things that I like. I like rooms. I like pillows. Sign me the fuck up. Yeah, let's do it. A 20-foot mural of heaven and hell in the elevator shaft. Unnecessary, I'm going to (laughs) say. And a 30-foot swing in the living room, which was hung above a white baby grand piano. Again, not necessary. No, but I mean... Pillow room, very necessary. Fun. Pillow room is necessary. I will agree with that. One might even... There might even be an argument there for the koi pond, but the pillow room... Lots well, of people have koi ponds. Yeah, but who's got a pillow room? Like, I want a pillow I know, room. that's what I'm yeah. saying. I want it. <laughs> so Lee later wrote in his memoir, quote, basically we made it into a huge adult playground, end quote, which is, that yeah. Sounds, yeah, that sounds right. Pillow room. Garen, G-U-E-R-I-N, swing, an interior designer who worked on some parts of the house and also partied alongside the Lees that year said quote they spent money like they hated it end quote <laughs> i like that <laughs> I, I i like that too i was like well i'm keeping that and that quote they were getting three inch slabs of marble from france and italy delivered end quote yeah like that's just expensive yeah so in early october 1995 so fun fact tommy lee's birthday is actually a day between michael's and my father's um Anderson threw Lee a circus-themed 33rd birthday party at a ranch down the road from their home, complete with carnival rides, tigers, sword swallowers, a Swedish death metal band, and of course, $5,000 worth of drugs. I was going to say, the first couple things sound like a five-year-old's party, and then it starts to get unhinged. Yes. Yes. I don't know what sword swallowers are going to a five-year-old's party, but I mean, you do you. Then again, I guess not tigers either, but... (laughs) Tigers? Yeah, you can get tigers for a kid's party. Hell yeah. What? Kids love tigers. Kids can get mauled by tigers. Not these circus tigers. Oh, Jesus Christ. Have you not heard of Siegfried and Roy? Well, that's a different episode. That's a different episode. Um, But anyway, so about five days before Halloween, Godier decided to make his move. And according to Chicago Lewis, quote, the details of what exactly happened on the night of the burglary are sketchy at best, as Godier seems intent on painting himself as a strong man, daredevil, and obfuscating details that could point to potential accomplices. Yeah, I'm sure he was listening to, like, the Mission Impossible music on a loop as he was doing it. He acknowledges that one other person knew about his plan beforehand, but insists he carried out the deed himself, end quote. So allegedly, this is what went down. At about 3 a.m., Godier hopped over their fence with the rug on his back and a U-Haul dolly trailing behind him, like tied to him, dragging it behind him. Yeah, because their dog always carries a U-Haul dolly. Well, but it's, it's everyone so knew grainy. It, so. No, it's so grainy that you can't see it. Like he's okay. got it dragging like like flat on the ground, so it's not standing. All right. Being dragged. I'm gonna say if you're dragging something behind you, why even wear the dog thing? 
because you can't because the footage is too grainy to see him dragging the u-haul dolly behind him they don't know there's a dolly like Haley, when i tell you that these that this footage will look like it was taken with a toaster okay like it's 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 shit footage it's really just there as like maybe a deterrent or to prove that something happened okay um but regardless so he he's doing all this the leaves are asleep in their bedroom he then disabled the security cameras and walked into the house and upstairs into their bedroom before heading down to the garage where he allegedly carefully moved all of the recording equipment in the fr- in front of the carpeted wall that concealed the safe by himself um which lee later described as quote a huge neve recording console that weighs hundreds of pounds as well as a few racks of outboard gear each of them about six feet tall awkward and heavy end quote yeah he did this by himself sure he did sure Despite the fact that Lee himself wrote in his memoir that whoever robbed them, quote, must have removed the, cra- the safe with a crane, a flatbed, and a crew of guys, end quote, Godier says that he himself then tipped the six by four foot safe onto a dolly. Yes, that's right. A human size safe. More than a human, sh- human size. Four feet wide. But also, like, they had to have done it with, like, a crane and everything like that. And you slept through it? No, he's saying they would have had to have, like, a single person would have had to, like, that it yeah it was that heavy but he didn't still, mean it literally yeah yeah but still how do you sleep through like that big of a heist big ass house i guess that's true um where am i here you threw off my groove so I'm sorry <laughs> i'm sorry you threw off the emperor's groove um he took the safe put it on the dolly strapped it down put everything back the way he had found it and wheeled the dolly and the safe onto the driveway and downhill in like down the driveway towards the street okay but when the metal in the safe unexpectedly triggered the gate to creak open he told chicago lewis quote i almost dropped a load in my pants end quote okay so still he made it down the road with to his truck with no issues and then he claimed that he got it inside the vehicle all by himself by leaning quote the whole dolly and safe against the gate and i get in the dirt and i wedge my legs underneath it and i bench up five up to i bench up 500 pounds with my legs it was hard end quote yeah this is not one person doing this there's no way but yeah (laughs) um if it sounds like a crock of shit that's because it's usually a crock of shit and chicago lewis also interviewed friends of godier's at the time who painted a much different picture when he initially who said he painted a much different picture when he initially told them about his little escapade back in like 1995 1996 like yeah right after this happened one source alleged that tompkins that general contractor who also was told like get the fuck off my property yep um that he helped Godier plan the heist from the beginning and that he was waiting in the pickup truck. And he certainly had motive because not only was he fired, but Dominique Sardell, who was Tompkins's wife at the time, she had been doing work on Anderson's condo okay. at the same time that Tompkins and Godier had been working on Belize house. And she was also fired as a result of her husband being fired. Even though uh, she had nothing to do with the, the, the Malibu project. Yeah, I could see that being something that you want to get revenge for. Yep. And furthermore, 
Tompkins had allegedly gushed over how cool Lee's guns were when he when he saw them. Uh-huh. And Sardell had previously advised Anderson to keep her jewelry in the safe to prevent it from getting stolen. All right. So they knew there was jewelry in the safe. They knew there were guns in the safe. Yeah. They just didn't know what else might be in the safe. But yeah, that's a lot more. That's a lot more plausible. Yeah. That more people were involved in this. Yeah. At least one more person. Right. Yeah. So regardless, like Godier stole the safe. Godier was involved in stealing the safe. Like whether it was just him, whether it was somebody else and him. Doesn't matter. He stole the safe. So after that, he took it to a, quote, secure location and spent an hour cutting into the back with a borrowed demolition saw that had a composite diamond carbide blade. Tool people? Yeah. Let me know. <laughs> that, that'll cut you into a safe. Yeah. I'm like, let me know what that means. Uh, despite the fact that the police report filed later on by the Lees said that an AK-47 FNC assault rifle... 0.4570 caliber rifle and Mossberg stainless steel shotgun. I know guns. That was probably incorrect. Um, I say sarcastically that I know guns. So Godier said that he didn't find any of those four guns, that they were not among the guns that were in that safe. They're okay. missing. No idea where. Uh, but he did find everything else mentioned in the report, including a golden diamond Cartier watch, golden emerald cufflinks, a ruby and diamond cross, a Rolex, the white bikini Anderson wore during their wedding, family photos, and a Hi8 cassette, which was the kind of videotape that would fit in a handheld camcorder. Remember yep. when those existed? Yep. Um, so Godier took the tape back to the North Hollywood porn studio, Ingley Studios, and watched it with the studio owner, who was also a former porn star, Milton Uncle Milty Ingley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he's a he's a he's something Piece else. Of shit. He is something else. Um, he makes Godier looks look like like kind of an okay guy. Oh no. Yeah. Uh, so Chicago, he, he, I'm all over the place. Godier later told Chicago Lewis, "Quote: We put it in and we see what it is, and of course, cha-ching, the dollar signs fly before our eyes. Of course. But we're going." This is the kind of thing people will get killed over, end quote. Yeah. So from there, Ingley took over. And after making a few copies, the men destroyed the original tape by melting the plastic casing and shredding the tape itself and scattering the pieces in a remote area near Six Flags Magic Mountain. Then they began shopping around for a distributor with Godier later telling Chicago Lewis, quote, Milton was the king of wheeling and dealing. He knew how to make a nickel into $2, always schmoozing, end quote. I don't get the... Why destroy the original? What's the like, point of that one? Because then they can't trace back. Like if they f- if the police come and they find the original, that's their oh, because then it's they proof can be that like, they was stolen. Yeah, they've got yeah, copies, yeah. so they can't prove that where yeah yeah the, where they got where it from. the copies like where the original okay came from. They can just say, oh, I got this copy from some yep, yep, guy. Yep. All right, I didn't think of that. Sure. Yeah. So one of the first people Ingley approached was a friend and colleague that you may have heard of. By the name of Ron Jeremy. Ah, okay. Who had recently put out a reality-style porno starring another guy you might know, John Wayne Bobbitt. 
this is, is this at that time. Penis? This is at that time. Uh. So Ingley later told, uh, allegedly told Jeremy, quote, I got a reality star. You're going to really shit your pants over, end quote. However, after learning that the tape was stolen and that Leon Anderson had not signed a release, Jeremy and his partner were quick to say no, with Jeremy later, later telling Chicago Lewis, quote, we passed. Porn was so strict and scary back in those days. If you're fucking, you better believe you have got to have a release, end quote. I don't think he's a great guy, but I, I think that that's true. Like, oh, he yeah. could he could have made a ton of money on it and decided to pass on it because he knew that neither person in the video consented to it being shown to people. Yeah. Um, and then Ingley approached a handful of other companies, but like Jeremy, nobody wanted to take on the risk. And according to Godier, a wealthy foreigner even offered them a million dollars, which is over 1.8 million today. Mm-hmm. But Ingley declined because he believed it was worth much more than that. Oh, okay. Finally, he approached Louis Butchie Perino, the son of a high-ranking mafioso in one of New York's most well-known organized crime families, the Columbos. And so a little backstory on them. Back when porn was illegal in the U.S., the Perenos financed and distributed one of the most famous pornographic films of all time, 1972's Deep Throat. Mm-hmm. Fast forwarding to 1985, Butchie ran an adult video business called Arrow Productions and was close with m- many of the bigger players in pornography. And like everybody else, he refused to have any direct correlation with the tape. However, because he's him, um, he did agree to loan Ingley about $50,000, which is over $93,000 in today's money. Wow. Yeah. To manufacture and distribute the tape on the internet with the understanding that he would receive a cut of the sales as well as interest for this loan. Mm -hmm. So though the internet was relatively new at the time... Godier and Ingley saw it as their best option because they believed nothing could be traced back to them. (laughs) Yep. So cash in hand, these two idiots thought they had struck it rich with Godier later telling Chicago Lewis, quote, I was looking at castles in Spain, end quote. This is like BTK level. Like, you can't trace a floppy disk if I send it to you, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So Ingley used about a quarter of the $50,000 to make thousands of copies of the tape and to hire someone to establish a couple of websites pamsex.com, pamlee.com, and pamsextape.com, which did not explicitly show the video, but rather gave instructions on where to send a money order of $59.95, the New York outpost of a Canadian t-shirt company, which was then funneling money to a bank account in Amsterdam. Uh Uh-huh. So when one English Studios employee realized what was going on and that he would not be getting a cut, he made his own copies and began selling them out of the trunk of his car for $175 each. All right. He later told Chicago Lewis that he allegedly, quote, sold nearly 500 copies this way, making about $75,000, end quote. Whoa. Yep. And he advised Godier to follow suit in the event that Inkley fucked him over. But Godier asserted that he, he trust his literal and figurative partner in crime and refused. All right. So as Godier managed sh- shipments from Los Angeles, driving around in a white Dodge van filled to the brim with VHS tapes, Ingley headed to New York to enjoy the rest of Perino's loan, a room at the Plaza Hotel, nightly visits from sex workers, $500 bottles of champagne, and a metric fuck ton of coke. All right. 
And by the end of December 1995, so like two months after the tape was initially stolen, the Sunday edition of the London tabloid The Daily Mail did a year in review that covered Anderson and Lee's escapades. And the writer mentioned that a video of the two of them having sex on a yacht was supposedly being sold around in Hollywood. All right. So despite this coverage, Anderson and Lee did not notice that the safe was missing. They didn't really get wind of this mention in the tabloid. They did not notice that the safe was not behind the wall anymore. Okay. And that is until a few weeks later in January 1996. The couple immediately filed a police report. They hired Hollywood private investigator Anthony Pelicano to get to the bottom of the situation, who, by the way, was sentenced to 15 years in federal prison for charges ranging from wire fraud to identity theft and was just released in 2019, which has nothing to do with this case, but still, uh, uh that's who we're dealing with. Yeah. Um, and Pelicano later told the Lee's lawyer that he had traced the tape back to Ingley, who admitted to owning a copy, but claimed that he bought it from Swing, that interior designer I had met, I had mentioned earlier. Yeah. So Pelicano then showed up at Swing's house to intimidate and harass him into giving up the tape and telling him who else he had given it to. But ultimately it became t- clear that a fucking terrified Swing had no idea what he was talking about. And soon after, a group of absolutely fucking jacked bikers paid a little visit to Ingley Studios and just oh, no. kind of burst into the little door and found that employee who was bootlegging the tapes out of the trunk of his car. Mm-hmm. And, d- oh, did I mention that Motley Crue's head of security was a former Hells Angel? Uh, yeah, that could uh, that could clear up some questions. These weren't just any bikers. <laughs> yeah. These um, were, and that's when, like, Hells Angels were, like, really, like... Very scary. Very scary. Anyway, so one of the bikers pointed a shotgun at this employee's dick and identifying him, he he holds up this VHS tape with Godier on the cover and identifies it as him thinking Uh he's Godier and said, quote, you, where's the fucking tape? End quote. To which the employee replied, quote, I know who you're looking for, but I'm not that guy. End quote. Okay. So after a cute little debate amongst the bikers, they determined that the employee was telling the truth. But they told him, quote, you tell that motherfucker we're going to come back and blow somebody's balls off unless that tape gets put back. End quote. I mean, it's like trying to put the toothpaste uh-huh. back in the tube. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But but nobody except for really like Godier and Ingley, like really, they everybody underestimated the power of the Internet. Yeah, yeah. So the bikers, who were either Hells Angels or Banditos, because um, Godier swore that they could have been Banditos. I, it's like, are, are, okay. So they started coming by the studio every couple of days, sometimes twice a day, mm. looking for Godier and Ingley. And if Godier was there at the time, th- so they could hear these motorcycles coming from down the street. So, yeah, they're not really subtle. No. So he and the employee who almost got his dick blown off would allegedly run to the roof jump from the roof down onto the top of the auto body shop next door before running to the employee's apartment two blocks down the street. And they would hide out there. Damn. And according to Godier, Lee even sent one of his porn star friends, Candy Vegas, and one of her friends over to his house to try to seduce Godier into giving back the tape. But good thought. he didn't have the tape. Yeah. He destroyed the tape. Yeah. So with so many people after him and the stolen tape, Godier grew increasingly paranoid and began losing sleep. Because poor baby. Yeah, he did something criminal. Mm-hmm. Well, it's got to suck for you. 
So he started crashing at the house of porn director Fred Piantadozzi, who was known professionally as Fred Lincoln. And Piantadozzi's daughter, Angelica, later told Chicago Lewis that Uncle Rand stayed with them for about a year and slept in the red bunk bed in her bedroom with her hunchback of Notre Dame blanket as the kindergartner slept with her dad in his room. Damn. Yeah. So by the spring of 1996, as information about the tape's contents continued to circulate and became more widespread, soon everybody wanted to see it either from a voyeuristic point of view in which Anderson could be could just continue to be the object of everybody's Baywatch fantasies. Yep. Or simply because of morbid curiosity about two of Hollywood's most popular tabloid subjects. I feel like that's probably a lot of a lot of it. Yeah, like it was it was a case of like it did it wasn't just sleaze bags who wanted to see this tape. It was just it was something that like everyone was talking about it. And, this and everybody wasn't, wanted to see it and be in on it. Yeah, and like post this, it's like there's been a lot of like leak celebrity mm-hmm. stuff, but like this was the first one. Well, so, I like, don't believe it was actually, but I think this oh, was really? the most prolific. Like yeah, this is the, the one the, that started it all and the first one like put on the internet and that's like, what really, I was, yeah. that's what I mean. The first one that was uh, distributed on the internet that more people could feasibly see. Yeah. Um so so yeah, so there was some sec- speculation that Anderson and Lee had leaked the tape themselves just as they had recorded it themselves. Mm-hmm. But the couple truly did not plan on anybody else ever seeing this tape. And yeah. as they began to realize that it was spreading faster than they could contain it, one of their lawyers came to them with not so great news. Penthouse had acquired a copy. And although the magazine's lawyers insisted that they had no intention of publishing any images from the tape, the, the couple understandably began to panic. Mm-hmm. On March 29th, 1996, they filed a $10 million civil lawsuit against everybody that they thought might have a copy, including Penthouse, Ingley, Godier. Troy Tompkins and Dominique Sardell and mm-hmm. Swing, the interior designer. Yeah. Within 24 hours, news vans were camped out outside of English studio and even Swing's parents' house. Wow. So in the midst of all of this, Anderson was promoting her new action film, a futuristic pseudo take on Casablanca called Barb Wire, in which she played the titular character, a nightclub owner slash mercenary named Barb Wire. Okay. And... All anybody wanted to do was talk about not her work, but the tape and the legal proceedings that were ensuing. Yeah, I'm sure the studio putting out that movie wasn't too stoked about that. No, the the movie did not do great. Uh, yeah, I never heard of it. Yeah. Um, but she told CNN in an interview, quote, it's devastating, but I really do believe that if anyone were to print those pictures because it is stolen property... I really think they are going to pay for that. And I really strongly believe and have faith that's going to happen. End quote. Mm. So the judge denied Anderson and Lee's request for a temporary restraining order against Penthouse. And in retaliation, the magazine put out its June issue with Anderson on the cover and a description of the tape written in graphic detail, including quoted exchanges inside its pages. Oh, Jesus. They didn't have the copyright permission to use the stills from the tape. Anderson was right about that, but so they supplemented it with the stolen Polaroids published by their international branches a year before. Yeah. And then that same month, like Every Rainbow, Lil Rain, whatever that thing is, Cloud, Silverlight, blah, 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 the couple welcomed their first son, Brandon Thomas Lee, in the midst Mm -hmm. of all of this. Oh, geez. Yeah. 
So in August 1986, a different L.A. judge refused to grant the Lees a permanent injunction against Penthouse, mostly because a court doesn't really have the jurisdiction to prevent a media outlet from publishing something that it hasn't, like, done, basically. Does that make sense? Um, Like, they can't say, hey, you can't publish this before it's been published. Yeah. So furthermore, in a really fucked up series of events... Penthouse's lawyer actually argued that the couple had forfeited their rights to any privacy regarding the video's content because Anderson had posed nude several times and the couple had previously discussed their sex life in interviews, which is definitely the same thing, right? Yeah, it's like, but that's on their terms. That's on their terms. And it's also not a video. It's not them having sex. Like, it's completely different. Yeah. But the lawsuit was dismissed. And Uh the judge said that Penthouse's images of Anderson and Lee that had been previously published elsewhere, they were therefore no longer private property, according to the L.A. Times. And since Penthouse had received the tape from, quote, a source and no one from the magazine had been directly involved in this theft, writing about it was considered fair game, even in like a graphic synopsis, especially since, as the judge agreed, Anderson had previously gone on record with Star Magazine the previous year saying she didn't do drugs and the tape showed her rolling a joint, which meant that it was legally considered newsworthy. Uh. So the only real detail here that worked in Anderson and Lee's favor was that because they had shot the tape themselves, they still retained the copyright over it, which is why all of those porn studios, including Ron Jeremy, wouldn't touch it with a seven foot pole. So even after winning the case, Penthouse still couldn't print stills from the tape or anything like that. But they could print everything else. Meanwhile, no one else named in the suit formally acknowledged having a copy. Uh, Tompkins and Sardell responded to the Lee's accusations with a separate lawsuit for fraud. And basically this countersuit claimed in this countersuit, they claimed that the couple owed them about $120,000 in materials and labor costs, but this case uh-huh. was dismissed the following year. And throughout the spring and summer of 1996, legal paperwork continued to show up at Ingley's studio, but neither he nor Godier ever hired a lawyer. And between legal troubles, biker troubles, and Pereno starting to ask when he might see some of a return on his investment... Ingley fled to the Netherlands from New York. And Mm. as Jeremy told, like Ron Jeremy told Chicago Lewis, quote, the FBI, Interpol and the CIA can't even catch kitty pornographers in big factories. How are they going to catch one schmuck going to different cyber cafes in Amsterdam? End quote. Mm. So the tape took two years to go from bootleg to viral. And when the various websites created by Ingley and Godier were not crashing, They were processing orders like crazy. But after a few bulk deliveries had been made, it became clear that they weren't the only pseudo-entrepreneurs in town. And a wave of copycat websites began appearing in late 1996, including Naked-Celebs.com, PMWatch.com, and BobsNudeCelebs.com. Don't know who Bob is, but... yeah. As profits began to dwindle, Ingley grew desperate, instructing Godier to oversee the sale of his studio, having his daughter in Texas travel to Los Angeles to sell props and his props and equipment. And then finally, in the late in late spring of 1987, he posted on all of the websites that they had created that they were stopping all sales and that all pending shipments would be sent out on September 27th, 1997. Okay. So that's all well and good, except they still owed Pereno. 
who most certainly was not about to just forget about that. Mm-hmm. So Godier told Chicago Lewis that England managed to get the initial $50,000 back to him, but that he still owed the interest. However, Ingley knew Perino had cancer, so he thought that if he just hid out in Amsterdam for long enough, that Perino would die and the debt would simply disappear. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's how that works. Yeah. Just like the internet, right, buddy? So meanwhile, the tape had made an estimated $77 million in less than a year, and that's just counting the legitimate sales, not the underground bootlegs, people selling copies out of the backs of their cars for cash, like none of that. Yeah. So Perino was convinced Ingley was hiding money, but he couldn't figure out whether Ingley was cutting Godier in for a piece or whether Godier had been bringing hundreds of tapes to the post office every week for nearly a year now without being given any money and just being like a stupid fucking golden retriever golden retrievers aren't stupid but just being a big dumb buddy and just being like oh yeah i'll see the money eventually i don't know why mickey mouse is the thing that came to mind but okay so godier told chicago lewis that one night perino had him over for dinner and over a meal of linguine and oysters perino would sneak teaspoons of sherry into godier's merlot when he thought he wasn't looking And then after dinner, Perino had Bing cherries soaked in Everclear brought out for dessert. And in no time at all, Godier was wasted, at which point Perino was interrogating him and demanding, quote, where is the money? Where are you and Milton hiding it? End quote. Mm -hmm. Fortunately for Godier, he convinced Perino that he had no idea. Unfortunately for Godier, Perino still wanted his money. Yeah. So to work off his debt, Godier says Perino made him work collections for the mob by, quote, sending a message, end quote, to people who owed him money. And he told Chicago Lewis, quote, knees are a little harder to break than most people think. Huh. So I came up with my own idea, end quote, which involved him growing a beard, approaching a person while holding a baseball cap and sun- while wearing a baseball cap and sunglasses and holding what appeared to be a mug of coffee. But it was actually ammonia. Oh, no. So he would throw the ammonia in the person's face. Huh, no. Yep, and then whip out the metal handle of a mop ringer and break the person's collarbone before walking away to his plateless Dodge van and driving away. Oh, wow. Yeah. Meanwhile, in early October 1997, an injunction was filed against Ingley, ordering him to stop copying and selling the tape, but he didn't care because by then it was too late. The final shipment had been mailed out a month earlier. Hollywood is riddled with legitimate and bootleg copies. And even Variety had posted a review of this tape. Oh, Jesus. So it was at that point that a copy of the video made its way into the hands of 25-year-old internet whiz kid and resident sleazebag Seth Warshavsky, the founder of pornographic video distribution company Internet Entertainment Group, or IEG. So in addition to developing early versions of pay-per-click ads, streaming video, and online credit card processing shit. Warshavsky claimed to have live nude performers on his flagship site, Club Love. So, cam girls. The the fucker made his money off cam girls. Okay. Well, I, I guess made his money isn't the right word, because he frequently wrote bad checks, and he owed a lot of people a lot of money and was pretty much a pariah in the porn industry. Everyone hated him. Do you know how hard that's got to fucking be to be a pariah in the porn industry? Yeah, I guess. Jeez. But still, so when one of his employees caught sight of the footage of the tape, he immediately brought it to Warshavsky's Seattle, Washington office, at which point Warshavsky paid him a couple thousand bucks. And on November 3rd, 1997, he issued a press release announcing that, announcing that he intended to broadcast the tape on Club Love. 
despite knowing that he probably would not be allowed to do so. However, it was not about the footage. It wasn't about the tape. It wasn't about any of that. It was about the publicity of the press release and the publicity of the inevitable lawsuit that would come with it. And Warshavsky was nothing if not the ambulance chaser of publicity. Yes, yeah, so he wasn't even. He wasn't planning to post on, it. Yeah, yeah. He he didn't want to post it. He just wanted the attention. Yeah. saying that he was doing it. Yeah, yeah. So, hmm. however, didn't work out the way he planned because on November sixth, nineteen eighty seven, the judge issued and refused to issue an injunction against him. So Warshavsky aired the tape the following day for five hours on a continuous loop with no repercussions. Oh, my God. One IEG employee later recalled to Chicago Lewis, quote, we were in the back of a car and Tommy was on speakerphone and Tommy was like, Seth, I'm going to kick your fucking ass, end quote. So at this point, the Lees were exhausted. Yeah. Everyone and their mother who had wanted to see the tape had already done so. And the constant legal battles and depositions weren't just stressful and highly invasive, but also fruitless. The tape was everywhere. Yeah. So they decided to settle this lawsuit against Warshavsky under the false impression that the internet wasn't as fast as it was and that it would not continue to grow as it would and that they could give Warshavsky permission to show the tape over the web without allowing him to sell it in stores. Warshavsky's lawyer, a recent Pepperdine Law School graduate named Derek Newman, had prepared the broadest release possible in hopes that the couple would unintentionally sign away the copyright over the tape, including physical copies being made. Mm-hmm. He later told Chicago Lewis, quote, I remember negotiating and thinking there is no way they'll ever sign this, end quote. But on November 25th, 1997, that is exactly what they did. I think they were just so tired of dealing with all of it that they're just like, you know what? They were tired and they didn't know better. Yeah. So in a matter of days, anybody who bought a subscription to Club Love had immediate access to the tape. And the company's director of sales and marketing at the time, Jonathan Silverstein, later told Chicago Lewis, quote, our servers were rocked. It was insanity. We had thousands of sales a day, every day, for months, end quote. Even shock jock Howard Stern said, quote, it's the greatest tape I have ever seen in my life. What's cool about it is that, like, you get to live their lives with them, end quote. I fucking hate this guy. But yeah. So soon, Warshavsky had worked out a deal with Vivid Entertainment owner Stephen Hirsch, that's another pornography industry or industry company, to manufacture VHS, DVD, and CD ROM copies. Remember, they thought yeah. it was just going to be stuck on the internet. Yeah. But he didn't stop there. He also tracked down any copyright violators on the web and shook them down into paying a licensing fee for permission to stream, keep streaming the tape. Mm. A few weeks later, the Lees welcomed their second son, Dylan Jagger Lee, in the midst of all of this. Mm. So Ingley continued to stew in Amsterdam, but Godier took it hard. According to that Ingley Studios employee, any time he heard someone talking about the video, Godier's eyes would fill up with tears. And he later told Chicago Lewis, quote, I was the lowest guy on the totem pole and I was so busy trying to make it work, end quote, end quote. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Anderson and Lee were furious when they realized that they had been duped and physical copies of the tape were being made and sold and rented out in adult film stores. They once again sued Warshavsky in federal court, but some people speculated, and in the case of one former Vivid Entertainment employee, claimed that the couple had actually made a private deal to share in the profits. Ron Jeremy told Chicago Lewis that he once asked Anderson whether she'd received any money from the tape, and she simply smiled and said, quote, well, you know. End quote. 
I mean, they probably should at this point be like, if it's if it's gonna be out there, if everyone's gonna see it, they should get some money from it. Yeah, I, think. I mean, they should, but at the same time, like that's not at least that's not what Anderson wanted. Like she just wanted I, it done and gone. She didn't yeah, want anything to do with but it. But at this point, there's no getting it back. So yeah. Well, but regardless, so both Anderson and Lee have publicly denied profiting off the tape, and Anderson has gone on record multiple times saying how violating this entire ordeal was for her. A hundred percent. Yeah. And by early 1998, anybody could just walk into an adult film store and buy a copy. Yeah. Hirsch later told Chicago Lewis, quote, it was a phenomenon, and it really helped catapult this company to the next level. We were just minding our own business, and this came along, end quote. And you decided to do the unethical thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. So in late February 1998, Lee was arrested after Anderson called the police because he had assaulted her at home while she was carrying their two-month-old son, Dylan, according to the Associated Press. Uh, The police report said that she had a broken fingernail and red marks on her back. Days later, on February 28th, Anderson filed for divorce, and on May 20th, 1998, Lee was sentenced to six months in prison after pleading no contest to felony spousal abuse charges. And this was such a, like, in in context, severe punishment. I believe he could have gotten up to four years, but the fact that he got punished at all was because he was actually on probation at the time, and this was a direct violation of his probation, the probation stemmed from him attacking a cameraman who was trying to videotape himself and Anderson as they were leaving Hollywood's Viper Room nightclub in 1996. And during that altercation, Lee had pushed him to the ground and broken his pelvis and a rib, according to the Los Angeles Times. Ooh, he really pushed him. He really pushed him. And Anderson would go on to publicly state in 2002 that she had actually also found out at some point, I don't know whether it was during their marriage or after, that she had contracted hepatitis C from Lee because the two had shared a tattoo needle. But luckily, as of 2015, she has been cured. And in the years that followed, Ingley and Godier quit porn for good. As predicted by Ingley, Perino died of cancer in 1999, at which point Ingley returned to California, broke and a mess. He moved in with his daughter, where he remained until he died in 2006. Godier has since told Chicago Lewis, quote, I love Milton, but he ripped us all off, end quote. Mm. About a year after Ingley died, Godier moved up the coast where he lives alone in a house just outside Santa Clara, California, where he continues to work as an electrician and also grows weed in his garage. Everyone. Not, yeah. I mean, not really. I don't really love him, but every once in a while, he'll tell somebody that he was the guy who stole the Pam Anderson and Tommy Lee sex tape. And almost nobody believes him. Yeah, but also, that's not cool. Not cool, but... You stole someone's private property and kind of ruined their lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's not cool. But as Chicago Lewis said, quote, He likes the fact that he contributed this small token to the world, and he's always enjoyed watching the tape itself, end quote. Godier told the journalist, quote, It was cute. They're in love and a couple, and they're just having fun with each other, and I think that's great. I'm jealous. I wish I had something like that, end quote. Hmm. Allegedly, in 2012, Godier received a Facebook message from a page bearing the name Tommy Lee. All it said was, quote, hey, you fucking f***, end quote. Which, I don't stand the F word, but at the same time, that's pretty, that's pretty fucking Tommy Lee, if it's true. Like, that he's just uh, getting DM'd from the guy that he, like, 
violated so terribly how many like over a decade later understandably so but just yeah so he's still like nobody else knows Rand Godier's name but Pam and Tommy sure do mm. in 2000 the Guinness Book of World Records declared Anderson the quote most downloaded star end quote of all time and millions of websites that had no content related to stars at all like celebrities at all were listing Pamela Anderson in their meta tags to boost traffic. Yeah. In December 2002, after an appeals court overturned the original court decision, Anderson and Lee's case was actually reopened and the presiding judge ruled in their favor, granting them $1.48 million, which equaled the entire profits from the now defunct IEG's tape sales. Uh-huh. However, by that time, Warshavsky had actually fled to Bangkok to escape the FBI and the Department of Justice investigations into his shitty business practices. So there was no lawyer there to speak on his behalf. He was not there to speak on his behalf. And so the judge said, hey, you've got to pay them equally. Like one gets 750000 or 40000 740000 The other gets 740000 That money never materialized. But if money was not something they cared about, which, again, if you remember, they spent it like they hated it, Yeah, then it was just the principle of the thing. At, at the very least, they got that. In 2005, Anderson was named the, quote, most powerful Canadian, end quote. And mm-hmm. in March 2006, it was announced that she would receive a star on Canada's Walk of Fame, and she was only the second model to receive such an accolade in the country at the time. That- I didn't even know they had a Walk of Fame. Same! That same year, she appeared in the mockumentary Borat, Cultural Learnings of America for Make Benefit, Glorious Nation of Kazakhstan, whatever that is. The the Borat movie. She was in Borat. Yeah. Um, he, the titular character, Borat, was like obsessed with her. He wanted to kidnap her and take her home to marry him. And so there was a staged botched abduction during a book signing that she was a part of. Okay. A couple years later, in 2008, and after a on-again, off-again relationship and a brief marriage in 2006 to Kid Rock, and another brief marriage to Rick Salomon, who coincidentally was the man in the Paris Hilton sex tape, oh. Anderson and Lee reunited with Lee telling Rolling Stone that year, quote, Pamela and the kids have moved in with me, end quote, and that the relationship was, quote, definitely working, end quote, adding, quote, we've only given it a try 800 times. 801, here we go, end quote. Uh, Oh, lordy. Yes. However, the couple did split for a final time in 2010. Still, even after all this time, Anderson has maintained that Lee was, quote, the love of my life, end quote. All Mm. from four days in Cancun. Damn. In 2011, the former IEG employee who had later taken over at this point operations in terms of the tape's distribution and publication, um, the one that, that initially found the tape for Warshavsky, Yep. He let the license lapse in 2011 when it was up for when it was able to be re-upped, telling Chicago Lewis a few years later, quote, I feel like there's a lot of bad karma around that video, end quote, and saying that he had actually that after he had brought the tape to Seattle, that his marriage started to completely crumble. And it basically it's like it's like um, those those uh stories where people like take like something say from a haunted house and then their lives turn to shit yeah yeah, yeah. and so they give it, it se- back That's- it seems like that for like a lot of the people involved that mm-hmm. it just kind of it just ruined everybody yeah um but yeah so he said quote i worry about myself sometimes what did i really do end quote 
I'm also going to throw in this quote from Chicago Lewis in here from Rolling Stone because it's really true. And she said, quote, Anderson and Lee have never quite been able to escape the shadow of the sex tape, but both seem to have done their best to move on and even poke fun at themselves. Lee's memoir opens with a dialogue between him and his famous penis, and Anderson does not seem chastened when it comes to her sexualized brand. She continues to pose nude, most recently as part of her activist work for PETA. But while the video turned Lee into a rock and roll hero of sorts, a big dick swinging rap scallion in the public's eye, Anderson became something of a punchline. She had no sex-positive bloggers or pro-plastic surgery tweeters around to defend her. No one stopped to dissect the notion that a woman who takes her clothes off for certain photographs has made her nude body into a public property and can't complain that images of her even more compromising po- in even more compromising positions end up sold, posted, and shared on a global scale, end quote. Yeah. In 2015, Anderson told Andy Cohen on Watch What Happens Live, because yes, two de- decades later, she is still talking about this yeah. tape. Not just she's talking about it, but she's still being, she's asked, being asked, asked about, about it. it. Yes, yeah. it, it's eclipsed her entire career. Like, you tell me what she's done besides Baywatch. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she's done things. She's written books. She's she's um, been on Dancing with the Stars and Big Brother. And she's she's had short-lived TV shows outside of Baywatch. Um, but she said, quote, I've never seen it. I made not one dollar. It was stolen property. We made a deal to stop all the shenanigans. I was seven months pregnant with Dylan and thinking it was affecting the pregnancy with the stress and said, I'm not going to court anymore. I'm not being deposed anymore by these horny, weird lawyer men. I don't want to talk about my vagina anymore or my public sex, anything, end quote. Yeah. Yeah. Again, like being that pregnant and going through all that. Got to be very stressful. Yeah. So in 2020, when she went back for another appearance on Watch What Happens Live, Cohen brought up the sex tape again. Oh, my God. Asking her, as the star of a sex tape, what is your favorite celebrity sex tape? That's... Yep. And he asked that in 2020? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. What a fucking huge, giant piece of uh-huh. shit. She laughed it off, saying, that was not a, quote, that was not a sex tape. That was a compilation of vacations that we were naked on, end quote. Good for her. Mm-hmm. So in 2021, the reason why we're all here, it was announced that Hulu was creating an eight-part miniseries on the violation of Anderson and Lee's privacy and the lawsuits that followed. Lily James was cast as Anderson, Sebastian Stan as Tommy Lee, Seth Rogen portraying Godier, and Nick Offerman playing Ingley. Neither Lee nor Anderson provided permission for the production. In fact, producers claimed that Anderson, who now lives in France was repeatedly contacted by not just themselves, but also James to get in, in, in her input, her permission, but she never answered their calls. So mm. producers drew information from other sources, including optioning the rights to the 2014 Rolling Stone article I've mentioned so heavily here, which is titled Pam and Tommy, the untold story of the world's most infamous sex tape. And it's by Amanda Chicago Lewis. Mm-hmm. However, in September 2021, Lee told Entertainment Tonight, quote, I know Sebastian. He's playing me. From what he's told me, really beautiful story. I think a lot of people would think it's one thing, but it's really about privacy and how things got crazy then. There's different laws now, end quote. Yeah. And in fact, according to the National Association of Attorneys General, as of November 2021, 48 U.S. states plus the District of Columbia and Guam have criminalized revenge porn. And Mm -hmm. Anderson did not publicly comment on the series But in the month leading up to its premiere, a source told Entertainment Tonight, quote, The upcoming Pam and Tommy Hulu series has been very painful for Pamela Anderson and for anyone that loves her. 
It is shocking that this series is allowed to happen without her approval. Tommy feels fine about the series coming out and is excited to see it. He still doesn't understand how this incident impacts Pamela differently from himself, end quote. Yeah. Yeah. So the series premiered on February 2nd, 2002, 2022, Jesus God. <laughs> it has a 7.3 out of 10 on IMDb, a 74% Google score, and a 79% tomato meter rating on Rotten Tomatoes with a 65% audience score. The critics' consensus is, quote, Pam and Tommy sometimes undercuts its own critique of cultural voyeurism with lurid stylization, but Lily James's performance gives this sleazy opus an undeniable heart, end quote. In March 2002, so literally last month, weeks ago. 20, 2022. God damn it! <laughs> Why do I want to go back to 2002 so bad? I don't know. Was it like when you were truly vibing? I mean, it must have been. I was in second grade, but I guess. I mean, J-Lo and Ben Affleck were engaged then. They're engaged now. Maybe like I'm just making association. The, the time that you're in. Yes. Get me my butterfly clips. So Netflix announced that it would be airing an authorized documentary on Anderson, which will be directed by Ryan White and include interviews with Anderson herself. It is being made with her permission. And okay. also, it was announced that Anderson is going to portray Roxy Hart in Chicago on Broadway, which is quite literally a dream come true for her. Um, she's yeah. always wanted to be taken seriously as an actress, and now she's finally getting her chance. And she told People Magazine, quote, this is the beginning of the rest of my career, maybe, end quote. Yay. And we stand. So she is finally getting what she deserves. Yeah. And we love to see it. That's awesome. Yeah. And that's, I want to see all. Chicago with her in it. I want to see incredible. Chicago. Yeah, I like oh, that would be so fun. Like, come the fuck on. <laughs> Let's do a field trip. I am so down. You don't even know. Like, I will go there. I will go see it with you. I don't even. Uh, I Let's have zero interest in seeing Chicago otherwise. But I will see it if she's in it, and I will see it if it's with you. You did an entire episode on Chicago. Yeah, I. That's what I mean. I've. I've. I haven't lived it literally, but like, I. I know what I need to know. All right. <laughs> fine. Well. What a saga. Mm-hmm. Y'all got your meat and, and potatoes this week. I have actually not seen the uh, Pam and Tommy. Did you watch it? So I did watch it before I learned that she was not. I, I unfortunately did not really do my due diligence there and was like, oh, is she, are, are they cool with it? Because I also didn't really know what it was supposed to be about yet. And then yeah. once we got into like the, oh, he's he's stealing the sex tape thing. I was like, oh, no. Um, but so we watched it, Michael and I watched it together because uh, it seemed like something that they'd be interested in. So I was like, you want to watch it? And they were like, sure. And honestly, like it, it's, it truly, I mean, for me as, as somebody who identifies as a woman, it all, it already was kind of like very early on, like a sore subject. Like I was just like, oh God, like I can't imagine. Cause she was 28 when she made that tape. I'm turning yeah. 28. Like yeah i i can see myself can, yeah can you yeah can you imagine being hmm? that a yeah could you imagine being that age and like that happening in your life no i can't and i also can tell you for a fact that i did stupid shit yesterday that i will regret in the future so like i don't think that she should even be held because there's of course going to be those church ladies that are going to be like oh well then you shouldn't have made the tape like no yeah, she can her do husband if, and it was in on a their safe. honeymoon yeah, it was in a safe that was stolen from yes. them. That doesn't justify any of what was done to her because at the end of the day, that's what it was. It was done to her. This guy wanted revenge against Tommy Lee. 
And why did she have to be dragged into it? And he didn't get the revenge against Tommy Lee. He just ruined a different person's life. Tommy Lee was just, he got a reputation as having a huge fucking dick. Yeah, pretty much. That's it. Yeah. But no, but I did watch it. I did. I, I was shocked at how much they, the makeup and the prosthetics that they did. Because like Lily James does not look like herself. Yeah, I've seen stills and everything from it, and I like Nick Offerman and yeah. uh, Seth Rogen in a lot of stuff. So like, I have I just haven't seen it yet. Yeah, and it it is a little like because she didn't approve it. She didn't so approve it's it. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I I don't like watching stuff when the the person that it's about same is not chill with it. Same. Um, but I was impressed. I will say with the like, for example, like Lily James, those aren't her boobs like it's it's literally it's fake boobs they they put like a silicone mold on her body and gave her fake boobs sebastian stan his nipple rings are not real those are also quite literally like fake nipples with rings attached that's crazy yeah like just the i i really do do so much with makeup but that's what i'm saying i really do hope that it gets nominated for best makeup because whoever did it and i should have looked it up beforehand but like they put their fucking foot in it like they went so hard they didn't have to go that hard it was it was so impressive to me just the the makeup and the effects and i'm not talking about that one thing with the dick i'm not mentioning it i'm not going there if just i'm not talking about it i don't know no i'm just not talking about it like just google just google the scene just google that scene just google that dick scene (laughs) i'll leave you all to go and do that uh (laughs) This has been Crime Culture. This has been. And you can find us on all of our social media. It's in all of our bios. So if you found one, you found them all. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And our website is crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com. And you can email us at crimeculturepod at gmail.com. And we have a Patreon. And you can join our Patreon um and i think that's it right i i think that's everything um we're on most places if you're listening you found us um if you if you feel like it feel free to give us a review feel free to rate us it really helps if you're wondering how you can help and patreon isn't really in the cards for you right now that's a great way to help um for free for free and yeah we love you thank you so much like this has been this is cool and yeah with that yeah we will see you next next tuesday Tuesday. i just got attacked by my cat and it scared the fuck out of me all right buddy we're gonna go bye